So then my doctor said to me, uh, maybe you should go on the Dixie diet. And I'm like, wait a minute. I know all about that diet. Uh, oh, wait. Oh, we're back. We're on. We're on. Here we go. Uh, uh, oh, I, hi, everybody. It's a Wednesday. And it's time now for Supernatural News. Uh, I'm Tim Dennis. Right over there is Mally Fox. Mally, how you doing today? <laughs> Good. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Uh, boy, do we have a huge, huge show for you today, folks. Uh Lots of huge news as far as uh, the alien front goes. The the U.S. government, believe it or not, says they have footage of an alien stopping a nuclear warhead and disabling it. We're going to talk about that today. Mm, sounds like a Marvel comic. It does, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're also going to talk about a few modern-day miracles today, Mally. Okay. Believe it or not, Jesus is coming in the form of an animal. Oh, I thought you were going to say like a piece of toast again. No. <laughs> or a Cheeto. No, no, no. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about towards the end of the program today, an immaculate conception. Mm. Yeah. And we're going to talk about how a door-to-door electric company salesman was saved from sheer death. Oh, okay. A couple of modern day miracles. So Very nice. Yeah. A stingray. That's how Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back as a stingray. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so we've got that coming up today as well. So, And we're going to tell you why, if you're seeing ghosts, it's probably just because you're losing your eyesight. Mm. Yeah. I doubt it. <laughs> you doubt so That it? means like most of us are going blind. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you better stop fapping. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> that's all coming up today. We've got some scary stories as well, because that's what we do here on Supernatural News and much, much more. But first... Let's talk, Mel. Oh, we've got nightmare fuel as well. It wouldn't be, okay. a, it, but it's not as scary as most weeks. <clears throat> Good. Yeah. It's kind of an enlightening nightmare fuel, if you will. Mm. Yeah. We're taking a little bit of a different twist on nightmare fuel this week. But first, let's talk about a video, an actual video that exists of a UFO disabling a nuclear warhead, Mel. That's what whistleblowers, at least, are claiming. The United States military is allegedly in possession of a shocking UFO video. Now, this comes from the website Outkick, and their readers know stories about UFO, aliens, the paranormal, and anything else that fits into a similar realm is all the rage these days. People can't get enough of that kind of content, especially when it comes to something truly unexplainable or a cover-up, so to speak. Well, the latest story going viral involves a UFO being able to take out nukes on outkicks x page or twitter as we like to call it because we don't like x do we yeah it's weird yeah it's very weird and then they always have x in in parentheses it's twitter just write twitter yeah just write twitter (laughs) let's just change it back let's go exactly let's go retro on the on the bit uh on outkicks x page canadian pilots reported seeing bizarre objects in the sky and the audio is downright chilling they actually show the video. Now, they ask the question, does the government have a tape of a UFO disabling a nuclear warhead? Multiple former officials are claiming the government has video of that UFO disabling a nuclear warhead during a routine test. That, at least according to the Daily Mail. Retired U.S. Air Force officers, Lieutenant Bob Jacobs and Major Florence. Major Florence sounds like uh, the puppet that... Uh, uh, Waylon Flor- Flowers used to 
have a, forget it it's a bad joke i'm, I'm just gonna scrap that <laughs> i'm just watching you like i know your hands. <laughs> i've got my puppet hand up and i'm yeah. trying to show mally on camera it's, <laughs> see this is major florence and he's he's got the never mind um it's a very old joke anyways it's a 70s joke don't you remember the puppet madam flowers and whalen no they they were big on on match game. <laughs> okay. Oh wait, is it the woman like the old lady that had like a turban? The yes. Puppet? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now the joke lands. If you have to explain it, it's not a good joke, right? <laughs> when you said the match game, I was like, wait a second. There was a guy that had an old lady puppet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Madame Flowers was the 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 big comedy of the bit. Nobody, I don't know, I'm sorry, it was Waylon Flowers and Madam, wasn't it? I don't remember. I don't remember. It, it's so unmemorable, it's, it's, I can't even I just remember it. the puppet kind of looking like Phyllis Diller. Yes, yeah, yeah. You got it. You're, and you're people t- under the age of 40 is like, who's Phyllis Diller? <laughs> yes, who's Phyllis Diller right now? Uh, Scooby-Doo, hello. Right. <laughs> it all comes back around to the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Trust us, folks. Uh, retired U.S. Air Force officers Lieutenant Bob Jacobs and Major Florence, who is not a puppet, by the way, uh, both claimed they saw a video of a 1964 incident in California that showed a saucer-shaped craft circling the unarmed dummy warhead and then taking it out with four beams of light, according to the Daily Mail report. Now, the specific date of the alleged incident is September 15th of 1964. So if you think this happened modern day... Right, um, 60 years ago. Yeah, it wasn't any time recently. Uh, And the location of the tape, if it exists at all, isn't known by either man who reported it. (laughs) So you may be saying, Tim, this sounds like a big nothing burger. Yeah, kind of. Uh, There's long been claims about UFOs taking nuclear weapons offline. Another famous story involves a UFO allegedly taking nuclear weapons located at Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana and taking those weapons offline in 1967. I told them, make sure nothing enters the fenced area. When I hung up the phone, I thought we were under attack by who or what. I had no idea. And then we get bells and whistles going off in our control panel. And we could see the lights going from green to red all across the board, meaning the missiles were inoperable now. That according to, and that's a quote from former Air Force Captain Robert Salas. And he explained about the alleged, alleged 1967 incident. So that's the story here, Mel. Supposedly mm-hmm. in 1964, this happened before that 1967 incident. Okay, so another story, another incident, another who's who. I don't know. What do you think? Well, why did it take him so long? Like 60 years to come out and tell us the story? I think because everything is, that, that onion's kind of unpeeling right now. Gotcha. Especially with with you know, a, a story that we're going to talk about here in just a, well, actually, you know, we can bring up this, this story now. Um, there's a story that was reported here about a week ago that we'll bring up about the National Archives uh, and the fact that they're housing a central collection of UAP records. So what they're doing is they're compiling these stories and they're mm-hmm. putting them in one spot. Okay. So I think you're getting these older stories that are being brought forward and all of a sudden it's, oh yeah, by the way, we did have an unidentified aerial phenomena come forward 
or a UFO come forward and try to disable a nuclear weapon back in 1964. Now, in 1964, back in the past, these stories were traumatic. These were stories Mm -hmm. that we couldn't wrap our heads around and probably would have caused panic, right? Right. In this day and age, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, we knew that, even though we didn't know that. Um, And these stories don't seem as traumatic, or at least we can fake it till we make it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we we kind of can imagine the scenario without it being traumatic. Or we can say, well, they had our best interest at heart, even if it wasn't our best interest at heart, because at the time we were in an arms race. And 60 years ago, this generation can't put ourselves into that mindset that we were being disarmed by potentially a foreign space power. We were being left vulnerable because at that point we were being left vulnerable to be attacked by the Soviets. Right. The whole Cold War thing. Right. And notice I said Soviets. I didn't say Mm -hmm. Russians. We're talking about a communist power that wanted to crush us. You know, Khrushchev said, we'll bury you. Mm -hmm. So the fact of the matter is, we were on the brink of a nuclear war and we were having our weapons taken away. Now, was it being done to the Soviets? We don't know. It could have been the same thing on their side. They weren't talking and they weren't admitting if aliens were taking their weapons as well. So... Um, so, so that's kind of some perspective on the entire deal. Now, as far as this story goes, as far as the National Archives housing central collections of UAP records, new legislation now requires federal agencies to tag and archive any records pertaining to the UFO phenomena. Greater transparency and approved record keeping with regard to UAPs is set to come into force this year, thanks to previously passed 2024 Defense Policy Bill which requires all agencies to organize and tag any records that happen to pertain to the phenomena. In a new memo sent out this past week by Lawrence Brewer, who is the chief records officer for the U.S. government, agencies have been ordered to review, identify, and organize each UAP record in its custody for disclosure to the public and transmission to the National Archives. To this end, a new central collection of UAP records is being set up to house all the data Agencies will have until the end of the current fiscal year to get their records organized. The move comes thanks to, albeit watered-down, legislation passed last year and aims to make data pertaining to the UFO phenomena more available to agencies and members of the public. For decades, many Americans have been fascinated by objects mysterious and unexplained, and it's long past time to get some answers. That's a quote from Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. The American public has a right to learn about technologies of unknown origins, non-human intelligence, and unexplainable phenomena. That's also attributed to Chuck Schumer. So, there. That's that. That act alone is going to get more of those stories kind of thrown our way. And I'm sure you're going to hear a lot more stories about things that happened back in the '60s that we had no mm-hmm. idea happened, and I'm sure aren't going to be as shocking as you thought, or are they? No thoughts about that, Mel. <laughs> oh, I thought you were just ending your your comment. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no, well, yeah, I'm, I'm ending it like, there. Or but, are they? Or and I was like, oh, they? okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a professor in class. Or are they? Or are they? 
Sure. Well, we can we can we can end it there because we do have another story here. <laughs> Ripley's believe it or not. Yeah, I just yeah. thought you were like. Uh, we do have another story here. Aliens are seeking to probe humans on Earth, although they would face two major obstacles, according to this so-called expert. Okay. If they were going to do that. Aliens who are looking to reach Earth and make contact with humans would have to overcome two major difficulties. That, according to an expert, as the debate continues on whether extraterrestrial life exists. Yeah, I think that we're pretty much past that debate, though. Right. Uh Aliens seeing, uh, seeking to get in touch with humans on Earth would have two major obstacles to overcome, according to an expert. Debate over the existence of extraterrestrials continues to rumble on, and possible sightings remain in the realms of conspiracy theorists, but many scientists have confessed a belief that there has to be some sort of alien life considering the size of the universe. At the same time, the uh, as people on Earth wonder about aliens, it is possible the extraterrestrials are doing the same. Should they exist? According to an expert, there are two main issues that aliens would need to crack before they're able to probe us for information, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> that's Glad what you added the word information. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's what they're looking for, information. Mm -hmm. it, just so wink, wink. it just so happens that most people's brains are in their asses. You know what I mean? <laughs> that is true. See what I did there? Seems like it lately, yes. Yeah. Uh, the first is physics, and the second is engineering. Keeping in mind that we have no idea what alien life is like and how advanced it may be, Assistant Professor of Material Science and Engineering at University of California, United States, Scott McCormick, pondered why we haven't seen aliens yet and what their tech might look like. If there are such things as spacefaring civilizations, it is not beyond possibility that somewhere in those 3 billion or 4 billion years that somebody came through or somebody sent probes, he told Popular Mechanics, reported the Daily Star. But he warned anything going faster than light is science fiction right now because the laws of physics say that you can't do that. Speed of light is as fast as you're going to go. Now, he's thinking about practical ways of getting here, mm -hmm. that's for sure. And on what the probe might look like and what it might be made of, he said, toughness is typically the ability of the material to absorb energy, and materials that are hard like diamonds tend to have a lower toughness. To resist these impacts, you want to have a material that's going to have both high hardness to resist being deformed and high fracture toughness. What material could that be? Well, I don't think we have an answer yet. He also claimed that sending a probe through space without knowing where exactly you're aiming for would be like searching for a needle in a haystack, which could give both humans and aliens a low chance for ever finding each other. So what do you think, Mel? Uh, do you think they get here through practical means, or do you think we're using portals, wormholes, and time travel type I think the, the latter. I think there's some portals there, time travel. I believe that more so. I mean, heck, Star Trek had the tele, teleport stuff. <laughs> Very true. Very true. You, so you think Gene Roddenberry was onto something? Then? Yeah. No, I just think that their technology is so advanced that I'm sure that they've they've come up with a solution. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure it's, it's nothing like 
uh, anything we're surmising. And and we're probably way behind the curve when it comes to you know, mm-hmm. any type of technology to span the universe or get across the universe very quickly, that's for sure. Do you think at one time we did have the technology? You know how they always find like odd things when they're doing an archaeology dig? I think we... I think we had it at one time, or or we might have. Mm-hmm. You know, Timothy Hogan was on the program and uh, a while back, and he was talking about how in these pyramids that he's got access to, that a lot of archaeologists don't even have access to. They have uh, hieroglyphs that talk about mm-hmm. stargates, you yes. know, and how they're they're powered by arcs. You know, literally, mm-hmm. Ark of the Covenant was a a battery that would power a stargate. Um, it, it's all fascinating stuff. And, and mm-hmm. the fact that you think about the pharaohs might have actually been talking to aliens and talking mm-hmm. to them through through these stargates, or maybe the pyramids themselves might have been doorways to, to other dimensions. I mean, it's, it's fascinating, and, and to some people it might be a little woo-woo, but... To think that maybe they are, maybe those those the you know the the, the top of some pyramids may be actual dead gateways are mm-hmm. are fascinating, and to think that maybe if we could find some of these arcs and try to fire them up, it it might be uh, it might be something to work on, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe there are people working on it. You never know. No, yeah, that's true. You never know. There's actually uh, right now on Gaia TV, uh, Timothy Hogan and. Um, Scott Walter have, oh, okay. a, have a show, a, a Knights Templar show. And I believe they talk about that. That's one of the things okay. we're talking about. So is looking for some of these arcs. Mm-hmm. So, it's fascinating stuff. There's a lot of fascinating stuff going on right now as far as that goes. Uh, finally, before we go to break, a school bus sized satellite is set to crash into Earth's atmosphere this week. Oh, Yeah a little scary the european space agency's ers2 satellite captured data on earth's land oceans and polar caps including monitoring natural disasters and according to esa space debris office the satellite will likely burn up in earth's atmosphere on wednesday that's the good news of it a defunct european space agency satellite the size of a school bus mally jeez this isn't small We'll, we'll come crashing down to Earth this week, more than a decade after the spacecraft finished its mission observing Earth systems and natural disasters. ESA's first advanced Earth-observing satellite, the ERS-2, launched on April 21st of 1995. After studying Earth's land, oceans, and polar caps for 16 years, ESA opted to end its operation in 2011 and deorbit the satellite to prevent the creation of more space debris. NASA, ESA, and other international aerospace community members have guidelines to reduce dead satellites and rocket parts in low Earth orbit by requiring post-mission disposal of natural decay or controlled entry. The quote here is, most people nowadays and for the past several years have designed their satellites responsibly to be disposed of responsibly and in a controlled manner. That according to former NASA astronaut Leroy Chow, And he told that to Fox Weather. 
He also goes on to say, at the end of life, spacecraft may do a deorbit burn to try to target what we call the spacecraft or satellite graveyard in the Indian Ocean, far away from shipping lanes and far away from any human activity. For ERS-2, Mission Control sent a series of commands to the 38-foot-tall satellite. 38 feet tall. That's huge. Yeah. To lower its altitude over 66 maneuvers until it was in a passive orbit. The large satellite was recently spotted in late January and early February, descending through Earth's atmosphere by other spacecraft in orbit. The ESA said images from HEO, which is an Australian company, were taken from the UK Space Agency, showing the ERS-2 satellite tumbling through the atmosphere. The UK Space Agency recently worked with HEO to capture these images of ERS-2 during its descent, the ESA said, using cameras on other satellites to image objects. Re-entering the atmosphere is a relatively new approach. In the future, these images may be used alongside data from ground-based sensors to refine re-entry predictions so uh it's saying when will this fall into the earth it says since the spacecraft took a natural descent path esa could not predict precisely when the satellite could come down onto earth but the estimates could happen sometime here in february sometime during the month of Mm -hmm. 2024 But as the satellite's demise approaches, ESA has been issuing updates. So uh, they're saying it could happen as soon as today around 4 p.m. Eastern time. So look up real quick, folks. As you're listening to this podcast, if you haven't been hit by it already, you're probably safe. (laughs) Someone's going to be making a wish on it thinking it's a star. Look at that beautiful 38-foot tall star. Bam. Um, Yeah. So they say around 4 p.m. Eastern time, plus or minus a margin of about 7.5 hours. And where did they say that they thought it's going to fall over? I know they mentioned the Indian Ocean, but. Yeah, there were 66 different maneuvers to get it to fall Mm -hmm. around the Indian Ocean. Okay. But, you know, depending Mm -hmm. on the rotation of the earth, yada, yada, yada. Right. Bada bing, bada boom, could be over your house any day now. So mm. not your house, I'm just saying. Right, right. The people listening. <laughs> uh, ESA said that at about 50 miles above Earth, a large satellite would break up into small pieces so that any risks from the satellite reentry are very low. Yeah, but there's still a risk. A little bit. Calculated odds by the ESA is about 1 in 1.5 billion that some individual could be affected by it. But there's a chance, kind of like Powerball. Right, exactly. Right. So you're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. So there you go. So look out for flying space debris today. Mm. Just saying. So there you go. When we come back, Mally, there is... You, were you a fan mm-hmm. of Lindsay Wagner, the bionic woman? Uh, nah, not really. No? I'll just say I was. Uh, not because of certain bionic parts, but you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah. But I was a fan. <laughs> uh, there's a bionic woman out there, a real one. We'll tell you about her in the Nightmare Fuel segment. That's coming up next. Do you see dead people? It could be because you're going blind. We'll mm-hmm. talk about that coming up in the next segment. We got some spooky stories, including the terrifying moment that a ghost shouts at a paranormal investigator in an abandoned UK castle. That's coming up in the next segment. And we'll talk talk to you about an immaculate conception. 
a stingray is pregnant, but there ain't no baby daddy. We may be calling mm. in Maury. <laughs> Just saying, we're calling Maury out of retirement. And our final story today is an amazing story of a man who should have died, a door-to-door electric company salesman, but there is a miracle that saved him. Mm-hmm. We're going to close out our program today with that, Mally. It's a Supernatural News Wednesday and Parashare. We do have a Parashare story today, but we need your Parashare stories. How do you do it? You can send them to me if you type them out in an email to timadarknessradio.com or go to darknessradioshow.com. There's a little blue button on the right-hand side there, Mally. You just click that button. Send us a voice note. you got two minutes to do so. If you need more than two minutes, you just click on that blue button again. you got another two minutes to do so. I'll stitch them together. You got four minutes then. You need more time. Do it again. You got six minutes. <laughs> I learned my multiplication tables there in school, Mel. Good job. That's right. So we just keep multiplying by two mm-hmm. and you just get your, you know, you get your minutes that way. So those are your two ways of doing it. But send in your parashare stories and we'll air them right here on the program. We won't do anything else with them, I swear. <laughs> More Parashare, more stories coming your way on a Supernatural News Wednesday. Tim Dennis, Mally Fox with you right here on The Best in Paranormal Podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. Welcome back to the Best in Paranormal Programming. This is Darkness Radio on a Wednesday. It is Supernatural News and Parish Air. And one other thing, Mally, it's also... It's time to get a little scared in a different way. It's time for a reality check. Mm-hmm. It's time for nightmare fuel. <laughs> but a little different twist today, Mally. Okay. I'm feeling a little optimistic, Mally. Ooh, finally. I'm feeling a little good about life. I'm feeling like maybe AI's here for the better, Mally. Okay. Feeling like AI might might be able to change our lives. Uh Uh-huh. For the better. Okay. I'm feeling like AI might be able to help us. I don't know about that. Hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. A bionic woman has made history merging her robotic limb with her bone and her mind. I mean, not her bone like her lady bone or anything like that. I mean, let's not get dirty Lady about bone. It. Yeah. That's your new name of your band. That lady is. bone. Yeah, lady bone. <laughs> with my gird is the first uh, single. <laughs> oh, my gird. Today's surprising news comes from Science Robotics, detailing the incredible medical breakthrough that could improve the lives of amputees significantly and focuses on the real-life bionic woman. This new type of artificial limb... No, it's not a bionic lady bone. Oh, jeez. Hi-oh! It's an actual limb. It's an actual Mm -hmm. artificial limb. Uh is a neuromusculoskeletal implant and is a major leap forward in the field. And its success is a promising first step. While the technology may take time to proliferate and become affordable, it's a great start. I really do hope that this takes off the way it should. Mm -hmm. A good way to bring AI forward. 
and robotics. The so-called bionic woman is named Karen. She's 50 years old and had her right arm amputated after a farming accident over two decades ago. She struggled with conventional prosthetic arms, which are incredibly tough, and chronic phantom pain throughout her 20 years of living as an amputee. This new advanced prosthetic has significantly improved her quality of life. Unlike traditional prosthetics, this direct attachment to her skeletal and nervous system means this bionic woman can move the hand and fingers of her prosthetic directly with her mind, which is amazing. While this dexterity isn't on par with a biological hand, it's shockingly close, with researchers claiming she has 80% functionality as compared to a natural hand. While still short of full restoration, that's an incredible amount of functionality compared to traditional prosthetics. Perhaps mm -hmm. even more impressive, Mel, this new type of prosthetic has restored some of Karen's sense of feeling in her arm. Ooh, okay. Right. Because the prosthetic is directly attached to her nervous system, it's able to send signals to her brain in a similar way that a biological arm would. While this sense is much less sensitive and sophisticated than that of a natural limb, uh, any restoration of feeling is a huge leap forward and the improvement that makes Karen the real-life bionic woman. Now, in addition to earning the bionic woman nickname, the prosthetic has improved Karen's quality of life significantly in numerous ways. Obviously, the restored functionality, functionality is huge. It's a pragmatic improvement, giving her more independence and allowing her to do things she couldn't previously do on her own. Now, just as importantly, the restored sense of feeling has greatly reduced her phantom pains, thank God, allowing her to decrease the amount of pain medication that she needs in a given day. It's often said that science follows science fiction, and this fascinating new technology is certainly one such case, making the science fiction idea of cybernetics very real. Karen's case has been compared to the iconic Bionic Woman series, illustrating this connection between fiction and reality perfectly. Of course, it's far from the only example of popular science fiction having a direct relationship with real-world science. Here's the deal, Mally. This is what people mm -hmm. don't realize. Mm-hmm. I hear this a lot with my Charco foot. It drives me nuts. It drives me absolutely nuts. I've struggled with my Charco foot now. I don't say struggle. I've lived with it. And mm -hmm. I've lived graciously and willingly with it for nine years. And I'm glad I have. And I, I, I keep it willingly and lovingly. I'll put it that way. And people say, well, why don't you just lop it off? Worst thing you can say to somebody who works hard at it and works hard to keep it. People don't realize that when you amputate a limb, it is one of the most painful things you can do. You, you set yourself up for more trouble. And I know there's a lot of amputees right now that are saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for saying this it's hard to find a decent fitting prosthetic. Mm -hmm. There's phantom pains that happen with that limb. There's phantom feelings that happen with that limb. There's pain medications involved. There's ulcerations that happen with wounds that happen with that, that amputated limb when that prosthetic doesn't fit properly. 
there's complications galore. There's more problems that happen with amputation. And if, you're, if you've never experienced it, if you've had nothing to do with it, if you don't have an amputee in your life, you have no clue. And it is so insensitive to say that to somebody who's struggling to hold on to a damaged body part. Just lop it off. So insensitive. So for Karen to get this gift that's an advancement where she can actually feel again and it reduces her pain, it's like a new lease on life. And we're almost there. Now, we're not quite there, but we're almost there. So imagine what it would be like for amputees. And I have a, I have a buddy, Scott, who I know is probably listening, who is going to try again. He hasn't tried in a long time. He's, he's in a wheelchair. He hasn't tried his prosthetic because it's so painful. And he has repeated, um, repeated, repeated ulcerations when he mm -hmm. tries his prosthetic. It's, it's frustrating and it's painful and it, he, he doesn't bother. But he's going to try again this summer. And I just pray that he can find the right one. But it's expensive as well. People don't realize how expensive it is, too. Does insurance not cover majority of the cost? No. A lot of oh. times, no. Especially if you, if you want to find a good fitting one and one that fits you perfectly, it mm -hmm. comes out of pocket. They won't pay for okay. it. You pay the majority. If you want one that they'll pay for, it's ill-fitting. Oh. It's not it's not perfect. You have to learn to live with it. There's a lot of adjustments. There's a lot of time spent in an orthotics specialist office trying to get it right. It's frustrating. Imagine, you know, you, you go to a, a shoe store and you find a you find a pair of shoes and yeah, you break them in and they break in around your foot and they feel good eventually, right? Mm -hmm. Orthotics aren't like that. Orthotics don't give. You have to find something that you can fit to you that you it doesn't fit to you you don't break it in orthotics don't break into to your fit you have to fit it to you and if you don't get it right you have to find something that fits to you and insurance doesn't pay for more than one a year oh okay so you have to wait or you have to go buy one on your own and you're not talking you know 100 200 or a thousand dollars you're talking tens of thousands of dollars, maybe forty, fifty thousand dollars, maybe more, if you want to walk, or if you want to use a hand. That's a lot of money. So, Karen, I'm going to show you the picture between you and I. This is what Karen's new hand looks like. Oh, okay. You see the smile cool. on her face? Mm-hmm. She looks happy. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that we can't just give everybody that limb and let them be happy. But maybe someday, maybe someday we're on our way. So there you go. I've said something positive today, Mally, <laughs> about AI. Well, that's good. So there you go. So it's not doom and gloom like usually. No, no. With the AI stuff. 
No, but then meanwhile... <laughs> you think I'm going to turn it negative right now? Elon Musk's first Neuralink brain chip is a success as Patient Zero now has mind control powers, Nally. Mm. Although, you know what? I'm not going to go totally negative on the bit. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. Here's the deal. If this chip doesn't fry, fry this person's brain, that's as negative as I'll get. This person has developed some interesting powers. Okay. Now, it's not as big a mind control power as you might think. But what's interesting is that tech billionaire Elon Musk has claimed that the first person to be implanted with his Neuralink brain chip has made a full recovery, first of all, and now has some sort of mind control powers. It's not the mind control power you'd like, like to levitate a car or to push in a bank vault door or maybe even scramble an egg. Although it'd be pretty cool to be able to scramble eggs with your mind. Mm-hmm. The Tesla boss launched a six-year period of testing his brain-computer interface, Neuralink, after getting the all clear last year. Musk claimed in November that more than 5,000 people had put themselves forward to take part. And earlier this month, he confirmed that the first brain chip had gone in and that the product was called telepathy. Pretty simple. Mm-hmm. It has taken three weeks, but Musk has finally confirmed that the person with the chip didn't die. Well, there's oh, a that's plus, good. right? <laughs> woo! Tesher's PR person was like, whew. <laughs> yeah, whoo! All right, you dodged that one, Elon. Mm-hmm. Don't have to hide the body. <laughs> oh, what if you hid the body? Then they got mind powers and rose up from out of the, the casket. Uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Creepy. But not only did the person with the chip not die, they've actually made a full recovery. Okay, step one, pretty good. Speaking during a Twitter slash X Spaces event, he said progress is good and the patient seems to have made a full recovery with neural effects that we are aware of. Here we go. Here's the big one. Drum roll. Okay. Okay. Patient is able to move a mouse around the screen just by thinking. That's it. Okay, it's a little underwhelming. Just a tiny bit. But can you do it? No. See? But can he bend a spoon? (laughs) Well, okay, he's not Yuri Geller, but... Yeah. (laughs) But he can... You know what? That would be good for those people that are, like, trapped in their body. Yeah. I forget what it's called. A paraplegic. Yeah, kind of, but where they can do that so that they can speak. Oh, you're talking like ALS? Yeah. Oh, no, wait, no, that's that's Lou Lou Gehrig's disease, sorry. Um, But, I mean, any of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, when you said I was like, oh, yeah, that is Lou Gehrig. Yeah. But, I mean, just where you aren't able to move your hands. You're talking. That way you don't have to have the thing in your mouth. You're talking MS. Or anything that where where you can't move. Yeah. You know what I mean? Your hands and stuff. So, or you can't talk. So that would be great. Cause don't they have something with your eyes that you can kind of yeah, where you, use you, a computer to you, yeah, you'd speak? Yeah. You do the eye movements and it speaks for you. Or, right. Or, but or I mean, if, breath control. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But if you can do that telepathy That'd be and something. move this stuff. Yeah. So the computer's talking for you. Right. But then that would suck if like something grabbed your attention and then you, 
<laughs> you got to say, like, I get sidetracked. So my telepathy <laughs> would stop, like, after, like, the first, like, couple words. I'm like, ew. <laughs> Mally on the computer, Dixie diet, Dixie diet, Dixie diet. Yeah. I would get, yeah, my telepathy would not work. Yeah. Uh, despite the scant details from, from Elon, it has not stopped experts issuing warnings about it, with some telling uh, the Daily Star last week that we should be worried about the technology. Well, maybe, especially with the chip burning up in your brain. I mean, that's the one that, that mm-hmm. gets me. Uh, Director of Research Advocacy Ryan Merkley said, Neuralink appears to be attracting a lot of attention to an investment in brain-computer interfaces, but that attention is distracting from the promise of safer, non-invasive, non-invasive devices and maybe swallowing up much of the investment. Uh, when invasive medical devices, I don't know why I can't say invasive today. It's invasive. <laughs> uh, when invasive medical devices are being developed by tech billionaires with the help of their venture capitalist friends behind closed doors without safety information from uh, preclinical or even clinical studies being shared openly we should be worried i do get that i get that without clinical trials or Mm -hmm. clinical safety um little safety devices thrown in there um we should be a little leery especially Mm -hmm. since tesla's send seem to have issues yes on the highways yeah Mm -hmm. i'd be a little leery about Neuralink. Uh, Merkley previously aired fears over the potential for Neuralink to kill humans, and a separate report suggested the brain chip could be weaponized if it falls in the wrong hands. There's always the possibility that a device as invasive as Neuralink could be fatal to the patients involved, he added. A lot of bioethicists are skeptical of highly invasive devices like Neuralink because of the risk they pose to patients. Mm. So you kind of hinted to it earlier, Mally, but you're in that situation where maybe it's a necessity for you. Is Neuralink the option you go to, or do you hold off until the technology is maybe a little more finished? I wait till the technology is a little bit more finished. You never buy like the first of anything. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like with cars, anything like that, you, because there's always little kinks that they've got to get out, you know, yeah. just kind of, there's always issues for the first round. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I would wait. I agree. What's so, the maintenance on that anyway? Of putting the chip in? Just like to keep it going. You know what I mean? Where, like, is there like where you have to get it charged or something? You know what I mean? You know, it's it's probably got like an internal processor, but you're you've got a very good point there. What's the what's the half life of the processor? Mm-hmm. You know, how long does it last? It's got to have some sort of battery core or pentium core or some sort of core that that you know what's what's the battery life on this thing i don't know you know <laughs> maybe it's a lithium thing where it's it's you know it's it's got a battery life of 30 40 years or whatever and then it's done i don't well, know well then you want to wait until you're much older than if you're getting that you don't want to get it when you're 20 well but then uh, i hate to be morbid about this but the people that you're implanting a Neuralink chip in probably don't have a long life expectancy. So you're looking at the quality of life. Yeah, you're looking at quality of life. I mean, the people that you're putting a Neuralink chip in probably aren't going to live 50 years. Mm. 
So maybe it's a, it's got a thirty year you know thirty year life, forty year life, mm-hmm. and that's it. I don't know. It's a very good question, though, Mel. That I'm not sure, and I'm sure it's something that they're not. You know, they they haven't fully. I mean, they probably have those specs on the Neuralink right now, but mm-hmm. but probably something that they're developing. But, you know, if you go longer with a battery life, the more powerful the battery, the more danger you have of it burning up. Mm-hmm. So you can't put too powerful of a battery or too powerful of a source in there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there may come a, a time where you have to remove the Neuralink. There's, there's got to be times where... Two, the Neuralink is going to break down. You'll have to go in and, and retransplant it back in. That's always a, a, a possibility as well. Right. You know, there's nothing's infallible. Technology's not infallible. Right. So there's, there's always those situations as well. Let's move on. I have a story here. It's a very interesting story. In what month are you most likely to die? Hmm. That's a good question. Have you noticed uh, in your family, I'll just say in your family, have you noticed that there's a time of year that your your relatives, your loved ones tend to pass away? Uh, March. That's a good one. Yes, yeah, spring or fall. Mm-hmm. I notice it's, yeah. it's mainly spring or fall. Yeah, both my grandparents passed away in March, right around my dad's birthday. So that was lovely. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And and. In my, in my family, it's mainly spring or fall. Okay. When the Grim Reaper calls, will you be carving a holiday turkey or setting up 4th of July fireworks, is what this story says, or will the evanescence of your days, not the band, be marked with a brief spasm of cherry blossoms and bloom? In other words, what time of year are you most likely to die? You'd think an inquiry on this subject would begin with Missouri's third most famous po- poet, T.S. Eliot, who called April the cruelest month, or we could start with famed oath slinger Hippocrates and his 400 BC observations on sickness and the seasons, but we have a source that tops them both. Reader Lori Schwady from Silver Spring, Maryland, sent MSN a theory. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. She says, I've got a hunch that there seems to be a noticeably more celebrity, uh, noticeably more celebrity deaths, obituary notices and deaths of my family members and friends in November, December and January than in other months. I think that's just her, though. Yeah. Schwady wrote, does the data. Back- Every time you say that, I think of Schwady balls. Yes. <laughs> would, you like to, would you like to touch my Schwady balls? Schwady wrote, does the data back her up? <clears throat> no, but people would like to touch her Schwady balls. That is a great skit. It is, yeah. Yeah. They feel delicious in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> the NPR. Yes. Speaking of, my mom contacts me the other day and says, do you know this person from NPR who died? And I'm like, NPR who died? So I start frantically looking because I have a lot of friends over at Minnesota Public Radio. Mm-hmm. Turns out she was talking about National Public Radio and Bob Collins from, from Morning Edition. And I'm oh. like, I didn't know him, no. Oh, okay. So we're talking about people who died. And it's like, uh-huh. you know how you get frantic when you're like, oh, my God, who died from, you know, and then you're yes. looking up people who you might have known from. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I freaked out. I was like, ah. So and then I'm frantically looking up 
one of my former co-workers that I might have known who died, and it turns out it was Bob Collins, and I, I met him once. Okay. So, yeah. Do your parents freak you out like that? My brother did last year because one, um, my high school sweetheart, so his sister, married a guy with the same first name. Mm-hmm. And so when they were at church, my brother afterwards contacted me. He's like, did you know that died? I'm like, what are you talking about? Died. He's like, yeah, they mentioned it, you know, prayers for the family of the blah, blah, blah. So I frantically looked to see all over social media. Okay. Did he pass away? And I couldn't find it. And it turns out after a lot of research, it was actually my ex-boyfriend's sister's husband who passed. Uh, so when they were saying send prayers for the family, it was, you know, it was for her husband and not my ex-boyfriend. Oh, okay. Right. So, yeah. So yeah. for like three hours, I was like, oh, my God. Even though I haven't spoken to him in years, like 20 years since the reunion. Mm-hmm. But it was still like, oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's it's one of those things where it just it throws you off and you're like, right, because you're not, you know, first of all, you're not expecting it in your day. Second of mm-hmm. all, you're like, ah, wait a minute. And then you start going down the line of who you've seen recently and who might be in ill health and, and your mind starts to wander and, and why didn't I call this person sooner? I need to get a hold of this person or if they're still alive and. Yeah, it's it's it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a head trip, that's for sure. Yeah, so, and my brother's response was like, "Oh, sorry." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right. oh goodness gracious. Yeah, didn't make it. Didn't mean to put you on the roller coaster there, but yeah. 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 Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, so Laura Schwede says, "Does her data back her up? Do people, family members, and friends pass away in November, December, and January more than other months?" So MSN says yes, mostly. And that that data backs that up. On average, January is America's most deadly month. Probably all the ice and snow. Uh, according to analysis of data on 66.8 million deaths along, you're going all the way back to 1999 collected by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Other lethal months come in later in winter including February and March, than Schwede guessed. December ranks fourth. Other data reveal that January 1st is the deadliest single day. Yeah, but could that also be because you know how a lot of people after holidays, they tend to, either they were holding on for their loved ones for the holidays, or they tend to succumb to like their depression after the holidays. I think so. I think the suicide numbers are higher Yeah, throughout the holidays. And and you're right. I think people are holding on to wait to see if people come through for the holidays, too. Mm-hmm. Though death, it says, here ramps up throughout the Christmas season. So you're right, Mally. People, people are waiting to hold on to see people mm-hmm. throughout the holiday season. Uh, I think suicide rates are up during the season. Um, the fact that it's a colder, darker season, mm-hmm. <clears throat> all of that. The seasonal swings are substantial. It says here about 20% more people die in January than in August, which is typically the least lethal month. So thank God I'm going to live through my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I lived through mine. That's right. Yep. Uh, We're basing our conclusions on deaths per day, of course, it says here. Otherwise, March consistently would look deadlier than February since it's usually got three extra days to work with. Demographer Roland Rao 
wrote his dissertation on seasonal deaths and remains enthusiastic about the subject many years later. When they Zoomed him at the University of Rostock or Rostock on the Baltic Sea, he'd hastily donned a stylish collared white shirt and jacket. I don't know why they needed to tell us this uh, to look presentable for the August Washington Post, then laughed as a data columnist popped up in his trademark hoodie and ragged beard. Boy, this is descriptive, isn't it? Yeah. Rao explained that the winter death pattern doesn't really emerge until we hit middle age when we are less able to withstand adverse environmental conditions. The data suggests that your body is not able to cope well with cold temperatures. Ah. Hmm. But I thought cold temperatures was good for the body. That's why everyone's doing those ice baths. That's right. Well, supposedly cold is supposed to keep down inflammation. Inflammation mm-hmm. is what kills you. Hmm. Right. I don't know if this guy... Or maybe it's like a... You know how you have a lot of heart attacks they're saying like after the age of 45 you should not be shoveling snow yes yeah exactly well again inflammation kills you inflammation is essentially what leads to heart attacks Mm. he said research has shown that seasonal peaks are driven and inflammation leads to cancer as well Mm mm-hmm He said research has shown that seasonal peaks are driven by some of the biggest killers in America, heart disease and respiratory infections. Other major killers such as cancer and accidents don't show the same big cold month swings and wouldn't, uh, giving some clues about the physical forces at work. I don't know if this guy has a point or not. Mm -hmm. If he has a point, he's sitting on it, if you know what I mean. (laughs) He's just happy someone's paying him attention. That's right. Yeah, he dressed. They up. said he was enthused. He, he <laughs> so. dre- yeah, he dressed up for the interview. That tells you everything. Yes. Winters are deadlier because of cold. Because cold changes our bodies, according to a 2017 review by Simon Stewart, Ashley Cates, and Adele Redfern, then of Australian Catholic University. They also live in a warmer climate, and John McMurray of the University of Glasgow. As temperatures drop, our blood vessels contract, it says here. As they narrow, our hearts work harder, our heart rates and blood pressures rise, and clots become more likely. If you're already at risk of a heart attack or stroke, it's more likely to hit in winter. Okay, that part makes sense. Mm -hmm. Our tendency to sit around indoors when winter hits compounds the risk. Add in the need for brief bouts of strenuous exertion, such as when Kirk Cousins blows a Vikings game. (laughs) Just saying. Uh, In the cold, experts say there's strong evidence that activities like shoveling snow, like Mally mentioned, can trigger heart attacks and other heart issues, for example. And winter can be a recipe for disaster. Well, then hire somebody to do your snow. Mm Mm-hmm. Cold weakens our defenses against flu, pneumonia, acute bronchitis, and other respiratory infections, all of which can see some of the sharpest winter spikes. They don't move the overall death needle as much as heart disease, but they can kill so many fewer people. But it's possible that infections should get the blame for more or some of those heart diseases and deaths. Uh, Researchers have found that flu and its friends can accelerate the hardening of your arteries and even raise your near-term risk of heart disease and stroke. And there's some strong evidence that colds and flu can leave you vulnerable to an acute event, probably by provoking inflammation, inflammation, (laughs) uh, which can mean existing blockages in our arteries become inflamed 
and the blood becomes stickier, leading to potentially deadly clots, said Stewart, an author of the previously mentioned review. Stewart, the force behind the many widely cited works on heart disease, is now at the University of Notre Dame, or Notre Dame. It's probably Notre Dame in Australia. Uh, By the way, there's a mention of the coronavirus. It's no exception to heart disease infection. And that connection during the pandemic, 2020 and 2021, Mally and I were talking about this off air, uh, uh, saw the biggest jump of heart disease deaths in decades, according to the American Heart Association and CDC data. Of course, you'll recall that the coronavirus didn't always obey typical seasonal patterns. January remained the most fatal month in pandemic era. December and November also grew deadly rising to second and fourth place, respectively. It could also be that Raider Schwede's impression of more late-fall obituaries was shaped by the pandemic. These days, the kindest month is also shifted from August to June. So there you go. And there is something to be said about suicides. In this article, it does mention that Rao notes that while depression is often associated with long gray winters, suicides do not, in fact, peak in winter. So I was wrong about that. So there you go. Uh, U.S. suicides are actually highest on average in August. Oh. Though the monthly peak in any given year varies from Elliot's cruelest month to September. Interesting to note. Mm-hmm. So there you go. It's actually wintertime that deaths occur the most. Moving on from when will we die to why do you see ghosts? Okay. Could be because you're losing your eyesight. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> Look at you, Mel. The skeptic. Ever the skeptic. <laughs> Let's explain why. Okay. Let's say it's the middle of the night. You're in your bed. You're stressing out about the next workday with looming deadlines and an overbearing boss. That's when you have dreams that you're losing your teeth. True. Mm-hmm. As you attempt to sleep, you open your eyes in the darkness of your bedroom, and that's when you see it, Mally. You observe a disfigured shape in the corner staring back at you. But that's not all. The shape resembles a woman dressed in Victorian clothing, and her face is disfigured. The sight is the, of that entity frightens you, and you move back as fast as you can. As you do so, that disturbing figure glides towards you and just stares at you. Right? That's because it's real. okay but two possibilities might explain what's happening one you're actually being haunted by the victorian woman just like mally said right two you might be in the early stages of losing your eyesight i've been in the early stages losing my eyesight for the last 30 years so (laughs) now there's a very specific type of eyesight that you're losing a very specific disease it's called charles bonnet syndrome the reason you're losing your eyesight. Okay. The scenario that we just described is one of the common scenarios experienced by people who suffer from Charles Bonnet syndrome or CBS, which is not the network that most old people prefer. prefer. Uh, It's a condition that's associated with visual hallucinations that occurred during sight loss. Now, what stands out the most with this condition is that people who suffer from these hallucinations are mentally sound. So no, you're not losing your marbles. Mm-hmm. It's a sight condition. CBS has also been called phantom vision or ghost vision, as experiences have been recorded throughout time. The syndrome was first studied in 1760 by Swiss scientist Charles Bonnet, or Bonnet. I'm sorry, it's Bonnet, not Bonnet. It's Bonnet, Mel. Bonnet. Charles Bonnet. 
Uh, he began to study this occurrence when his grandfather started experiencing visual hallucinations after he developed cataracts. The hallucinations included visions of people, carriages, birds, and buildings, which could only be seen by his grandfather. These visions were spontaneous and were seen in what was left of his eyesight. Bonet also noticed that his grandfather was mentally sound and was not experiencing any symptoms that were associated with mental illnesses. Hallucinations will vary depending on the person, their medical condition, and their stress levels. Some people may experience flashes of light, while others may experience color changes. Others may experience all different types of hallucinations, including the frightening images of ghosts. Some people have seen figures dressed in period clothing and moving as if they were gliding across the floor. Missing body parts like hands, arms, or even faces are common occurrences. These visions will also be in great detail, even for people with vision that is blurry. Those with CBS have also seen incredible images like a double-decker bus going through their living room or people sitting on their couch, kitchen table, bed, etc., They've also seen surfaces covered in patterns like tiles or bricks, even bottles, hats, or dancing children, and the visions can last from several seconds to several hours. What is consistent is that these visions appear and vanish abruptly. One of the most frightening hallucinations include floating disembodied faces that squirm during random times. These faces have wide eyes that don't blink, plus prominent teeth and features like a gargoyle. Experts God, this sounds worse than seeing a ghost. Right, right. Jeez <laughs> Louise. Experts in CBS believe that increased stress levels can contribute to the manifestation of more negative images. The condition also seems to be more common among people who live alone with limited social interactions. So why does it happen? Well, one of the most common causes of CBS is macular degeneration, which is a disease that causes certain light-sending uh, cells in the retina to malfunction and cause a blind spot in the center of a person's vision. Glaucoma and cataracts are also commonly associated with CBS. As the eyes lose their ability to see, the brain will attempt to fill in the blanks for the missing information. It is the brain compensating for what the eyes can no longer see, and it's trying to help the person navigate through their surroundings. CBS has been compared to phantom limb syndrome after an amputation has taken place. So now how common is it? I mean, you know, is it really, are we losing our eyesight so everybody is seeing ghosts? Well, a study conducted by Dr. M.L. Jackson of the Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary, and Dr. Joseph uh, Ference of the Harvard Department of Ophthalmology in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, found that Charles Bonnet syndrome affects approximately 10% to 38% of people with visual impairments. One of the main reasons for the vast range is not because, it, or rather it is because not everyone who suffers from CBS reports it to their doctor. Other factors include differences in definitions as well as historical record-keeping of the condition and the symptom-specific context that's taken into consideration. Now, Charles Bonnet syndrome doesn't necessarily explain all paranormal phenomena. I mean, there's, there's other things as well, but essentially, it explains some of it. Um, Robert Lanza did say in his book, Biocentrism, that the world only exists because we're looking at it, what we see is a reality that is created in our heads, our consciousness, and if humans weren't there to observe the world, it would be nothing. 
as people with CBS navigate through their lives, seeing visions of people, objects, animals, etc., that is their reality as they know it. It only exists because they see it. So could we say the same thing for ghosts? It's interesting. So CBS, Mel, it could be the answer for some people as to why, right. why they're seeing ghosts. Not everybody, but right. some people. It just sounds terrifying. It does sound terrifying. Let's move on, shall we? Yep. This next story is a ghost story. We're going to move into some ghost territory now. This is the terrifying moment where a ghost shouts at a paranormal investigator in an abandoned UK castle. Uh, Tony, who has been ghost hunting for the last 15 years, says one of the ghosts even shared a joke with him as he heard several voices emerge from a 17th century dungeon. A paranormal investigator has recalled the terrifying moment he heard a ghost demand that he get back while he approached an eerie dungeon entrance in the ruins of a 17th century castle. Tony Ferguson, who was exploring the remains on his own, <laughs> uh, was left spooked by the chilling encounter at Kenmuir Castle, southwest Scotland. He claims to have heard several male and female voices within the walls of the ancient structure. Uh, Ferguson, who's 38 years old, also said one of the ghosts responded to a joke he made about the grounds being overgrown by agreeing. He stood in one of the old corridors of the castle and stepped outside and spotted the filming a spooky experience. He said, there is a little hole down there. Is that a dungeon? I just heard another female. What is down there? Crazy. The castle is in the middle of nowhere. I explored it on my own, but I most definitely was not alone. I asked the question, are there any former owners of the castle here? Then a male voice says, yes. Also, the area I was in, I asked another question, is this a prison area? As it looked like it, a clear male response says, no. Tony of Lymington, Hampshire, a personal trainer by day, has been ghost hunting for 15 years. He added, I mentioned about it being overgrown and a female responded in agreement. Also, there was a hole pointed out as I went near a male voice says, get back. Overall, there were many unexplained things. That just sounds like helpful ghosts. Yeah. But I mean, there have been several times where we've done EVP session and we get the get out. Mm -hmm. Indeed. So interesting. Yeah, he uh, it just sounds like this guy had helpful ghosts. I don't know why he's so scared. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Some investigators are kooky. <laughs> They're kooky like that. They're like, oh, a ghost came up and helped me. Oh. <laughs> Go figure. A wildlife camera. This one's interesting. Okay, so are you of a belief that elementals hang out in the woods? Yes. Now, do you believe that Bigfoot is an elemental? You know what? That thought has crossed my mind in the past. Reason I ask is this story is very interesting. Um, and I, I, I bring this up because when I looked at this story, I thought at first, I wonder if this is Bigfoot. And then I looked at the picture and I thought, you know what? Maybe this is a true elemental. I'm going to show you the picture here, Mel. And then I'm going to read this story to everybody. And then I'm going to pull. Oh. Yeah. What do you think? That looks, that doesn't look like a Bigfoot. That it, looks more like a, yeah. Right. Okay. Elemental. Okay. So I'm going to post this story in the description of the program. And you guys can look at this, look at this um, picture. Because some people, 
will have an idea one way or another. A wildlife camera captures far more than intended with eyes staring back in the woods, but there's clearly a figure here. You mm-hmm. saw the figure, right? Yeah. It okay. looks like it's standing up. Yes. Yeah. Wildlife camera set up to catch a out deer in the area. Instead, it picked up a horrifying woodland horror, which Facebook users believe is an elemental or grim creature similar to ghosts. That wildlife creature snapped an eerie figure dubbed an elemental with, with uh, glowing eyes protruding from the dark of, a fo- of the forest. The haunting creature was picked up on camera, which was set up in the woods, but not to capture horror beings of a sinister variety, but rather deer. It was looking for deer. Mm-hmm. Cameras scattered in the woods were set to pick up those deer tracks. It says deer tracks, but it was set to pick up deer that were running by. It was a deer cam or a trail cam. With glowing eyes and a hunch-over appearance, the grim beast appears to have set off the movement tracker on the camera and offered up an unsettling selfie, which was posted to Facebook. The image uploaded to Facebook group Ghosts of London had some users alleging the find was actually an elemental and not a ghost. Both serve the same purpose, but the elemental scene Uh, may have ties to the occult, it says here. One user wrote, That, my friends, is an elemental, a being comprised only of the energies of the earth itself. A few other comments chimed in and agreed with the assessment of the eerie find. The original poster wrote, This is a camera set up in the woods, set up to take photos when it senses movement. Main purpose is to take photos of deer and other wildlife. There are no people that could be in the woods at that time, especially without us knowing, and it had to be moving to set the camera off. Further freaked out Facebook users weighed in on the sighting. One said it was the eyes that chill me, and another worried for the pairs of eyes behind the elemental creature. The pair of eyes behind the elemental creature. So there's four set of eyes? I don't see another set of or eyes. Or two sets, I guess you would say, so four. Yeah, it'd be two, it'd be two sets <clears throat> of eyes, but I'm going to try and blow it up here to take a look at it. I don't see a second set of eyes. Do you see one? Uh, no. Yeah, I don't either. But you can kind of see like a nose and a mouth. Right. Right. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what they're talking about there. Uh, but I don't know. Some people see what they want to see when they look at... Right. When they look at... Um, I don't know. But bizarre. It's, it's, a, bizarre, it's a bizarre picture. Uh, again, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll post this in the um, description of the show so that you can you can take a look for yourself. Okay, two more stories here for Supernatural News today. This next one, Mally, is going to change the way that you look at theology. It's going to change the way that you look at religion. Okay. <laughs> I say that with tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> Everybody thought that when the second coming would happen, it would happen in human form. It turns out that's not the truth at all. It turns out that Jesus is coming back as a stingray. (laughs) Charlotte, a stingray with no male companion, is pregnant, Mally. Pregnant with no male companion in sight. She didn't need a man. She She did herself. That's right. She didn't need no man. She can do it all by herself. Mm -hmm. Sisters are doing it by themselves, Mally. She's in her mountain aquarium and doing just fine. 
Charlotte, a rust-colored stingray the size of a serving platter, has spent much of her life gliding around the confines of a storefront aquarium in North Carolina's Appalachian Mountains. That explains it. What? One of them there rednecks in the Appalachian Mountains done got a hold of Charlotte. Oh, no, that's so bad. That's right. She's 2,300 miles from her natural habitat under the waves of Southern California, and she hasn't shared a tank of water with a male of her species in at least eight years. It's going to come out looking like Leroy. (laughs) And yet nature has found a way, the aquarium's owner said. The stingray is pregnant with as many as four pups and could give birth in the next two weeks. What if there was like a stingray in the next tank and then it would just kind of like flop in her tank, do its job and then flop back in his tank. Flop. (laughs) Flop. Like a belly flop. (laughs) The quote here is, here's our girl saying, hey, happy Valentine's Day. Let's have some pups, (laughs) said Brenda Raymer, executive director of the aquarium and shark lab on Main Street in downtown Hendersonville. How is that happy Valentine's Day? She, she's doing herself. <clears throat> An expert. <laughs> okay. Your face. Your look. You're trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm confused. <laughs> An expert on the stingray said it would have been impossible for Charlotte to have mated with one of the five small sharks that share her tank. Despite news reports suggesting that that was the case. After Raymer joked about a possible interspecies hookup. Could you imagine if it came out half stingray, half shark? <gasps> That'd be one badass species, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The small aquarium is run by Raymer's educational nonprofit Team Echo, ECCO, which encourages local school children and others to take an interest in science. Oh, they're taking an interest now, let me tell you. <laughs> Kids are at the aquarium going. Mommy, why is that stingray pregnant? Well, you see, honey, when a shark and a stingray love each other and their love is denied by society. Just saying. Its biggest lesson now on the process of parthenogenesis. That's my big word for today, Mally, that I have to look up online. Parthenogenesis, which is a type of asexual reproduction in which offspring develop from unfertilized eggs, meaning there's no genetic contribution by a male. Which is how I like to think my mom got pregnant. (laughs) I'm an immaculate conception, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, you are something. (laughs) Thank you. The mostly rare phenomena can occur in some insects, fish, amphibians, birds, and reptiles, but not mammals. Or can they? The Bible says it happened. What if this person is just lying? Like there was another stingray in there. Or it was in somebody, it was in another tank, like while they were cleaning it out or something. That might be the answer. Yeah. And they're just trying to cover their butt. (laughs) True, true. Uh, Documented examples have included California condors, Komodo dragons, and yellow-bellied water snakes. I thought that was just a made-up species. You yellow-bellied water snake! 
Because uh, that just sounds like something you yell at somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Katie Lyons, a research scientist at the Georgia Aquarium in Atlanta, who is not involved with the North Carolina Aquarium, says Charlotte's pregnancy is the only documented example she's aware of for this species, round stingrays. But Lyons isn't at all shocked. Other kinds of sharks, snakes, or rather sharks, skates, and rays, a trio of animals often grouped together, have had these kinds of pregnancies in human care. She says, I'm not surprised because nature finds a way of having this happen. To be clear, Lyons said, these animals are not cloning themselves. Instead, a female's egg fuses with another cell, triggers cell division, and leads to the creation of an embryo. The cell that fuses with the egg is known as polar, polar body. They are produced when a female is creating an egg, but usually aren't used. We don't know why it happens, Lyons says, just that it's kind of this really neat phenomena that they seem to be able to do. Raymer said she and others at the nonprofit at first thought that Charlotte had a tumor. It's not the tumor. Uh, when they noticed a lump on her back that was blowing up like a biscuit. <laughs> that sounds like what a, if it was a Yeah. What if it was like a phantom pregnancy? Oh, yeah. That'd be even weirder. But there's four pups in there. Oh. Yeah. That's right. You said that. Yep. But an ultrasound revealed that pregnancy when they went to do that. Uh, we were all like, shut the back door. There's no way. No, she didn't shut the back door. She's pregnant. Oh, <laughs> you know Jesus. what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, my Lord. Oh, literally. my, oh, my Lanta. <laughs> uh, we thought we were overfeeding her, she said, but we were but we were overfeeding her because she has more mouths to feed. So they ended up, oh, 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 oh. So they ended up having to feed her because she's got four pups. Charlotte currently lives in a tank that's about 2,200 gallons or nearly the size of a construction dumpster. Dang, that's big. That is big. Raymer said they're hoping to get a tank nearly twice that size to accommodate Charlotte's offspring. They also want to put live cameras up for people to see them. It's very rare to happen, Raymer said, but it's happening in the middle of the Blue Ridge Mountains in rural North Carolina. Hundreds of miles from the ocean. Mm. So there you go. Immaculate Conception, Mally. Right there in North Kakalaki. <laughs> Another miracle. And this is how we'll end the program today. A door-to-door electric company salesman says a tablet protected him from getting hit after a Texas homeowner shot at him and hurled a racial slur. You've got to be careful nowadays. Yeah. I feel like everyone's shooting people that show up at their door. That's right. An electric company salesman was called racial slurs and shot at by a Texas resident, but was not hit because he was holding a tablet. Wow, he's lucky. Yeah. The unidentified man who works for Reliant Energy was knocking on doors in East Fort Worth and asking homeowners about their bills earlier this month. When the veteran sales agent approached a resident on Purrington Avenue, he was shook up after he saw how the resident responded. He just came out and just straight pointed the barrel at me and then shot me and told me to get away from here with the N-word. Yikes. The man told the outlet, I'm lucky it didn't hit me. It hit the tablet. Wow. An estimated 50% of the population in the city, which is about 32 miles from Dallas, is white. 
In NBC Dallas-Fort Worth news broadcast, the victim showed the damaged tablet, which was shattered by the bullet. He said he usually holds a device at the side of his body, but that day it was in front of his stomach. He was able to escape and call the police, which responded to the scene. The suspect was not inside the home when officers arrived. Spokesperson for the Fort Worth Police Department told Atlanta Black Star on Monday that the 58-year-old Edward Camp was arrested on February 13th and charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Jail records show that Camp is being held at the Tarrant County Correction Center on a $150,000 bond. Reliant released a statement saying they were working with police on the investigation. The statement said, we're in the process of learning more, but thankfully the sales agent was not harmed. The safety and security of sales agents is our top priority. The salesman is calling for accountability for the homeowner because he could have been severely injured, could be dead for that matter. Right. Yeah. This is the one thing I always fear, getting shot at the door, and today it happened, the man explained per the outlet. I got two daughters, could have been in the hospital dead now. Mm. That's for sure. But thank God. He's alive, thanks to a tablet. Stopped him. He needs to start wearing a bulletproof vest. You know, and ask for a pay raise. <laughs> that's true, a big raise. And he should get yeah. a big bonus for that. It, yep. re- it reminded me of a story my grandfather told me about his dad. Um, and I'll tell it real quick before we leave the show today. Um. My uh, both my grandfather, and my great grandfather Dennis, um, worked for Northern States Power, and unfortunately, one of the things they had to do was go to businesses mm. and shut off their power when they didn't pay the bill. Oh, so you have angry people, right? They also handled big transformers and moved big transformers mm-hmm. and things like that. They did a lot, um, but they were supervisors back in their day, so. That's what supervisors had to do. They had to go to businesses. They had to shut off power when Bill wasn't paid. Mm -hmm. So my great-grandfather goes to a business, and he took my grandfather along with him. And wait, he didn't take him on this one. I think he just told him the story. But he, he, my great-grandfather went went to this business to turn off the power. Mm Mm-hmm. And he went in the shop and he said, sir, I, I'm here to collect on this bill. If, if you can't pay the bill, I regret to inform you I have to go back and I have to shut off your power. Mm-hmm. He said, can you pay this amount? Guy says, you go back, you touch my meter, I'm going to effing kill you. I'm going to throw you right there through that plate glass window. Great grandfather says, you can try to do whatever you need to do. I need to do my job. And I'm sorry, but I need to go to shut off your power if you don't have the money. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing my job. I hope you understand. It's nothing personal. I don't want to do this. I have to do this. Right. I, I need you to pay your bill, sir. Guy says, you don't touch my power or I'm going to throw you through that window. And he says, I'm sorry, sir. Do you have your money? And he says, I don't have my money. He says, all right, I got to go shut off your power. So he goes to walk through the back of the store to shut off his power. Guy grabs my great-grandfather and throws him through the plate glass window. One thing you don't do, my great-grandfather was a very short man, but he was stout and he Mm -hmm. was powerful. Grandpa went through the plate glass window 
and he was shredded a little bit. You know, he was he was cut up a little bit, but he got right up after he had come to consciousness, which wasn't didn't take him very long because he was pissed. Got up, <clears throat> walked in through the front door, which the guy was surprised. Knocked this guy out with one punch. <laughs> then called in to base and said, I'm shutting the guy's power off. <laughs> <laughs> just goes to show you don't mess with the power company. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it's amazing what, what people think they can get away with. Right. And they need to learn that it's just business mm -hmm. and it is just business and you, you can't get away with, with abusing people. You shouldn't abuse people, especially when they're doing their job. You know, and we need to treat human beings with proper respect because it is just business. Mm -hmm. so, remember, there's a separation here, people. We need to treat people with the same respect we treat ourselves, with the same love and kindness that we want to we want to be treated with. So, but I saw this story and I was reminded of my grandfather, my great grandfather. So, and I, I want to thank uh, our listeners for sending in the stories and this story in particular. So. Thank you. Appreciate it. Mally, what do we what do we have going on? We got Um, well actually, I had someone send me a recipe via Facebook. Thank you very much. And I think I'm going to give it a shot. It's um Nutella pies, but they're <gasps> deep fried, but I might try the air fryer. Really? Yeah, it looks really good. Really, really, really. Mhm. Mm and then work on my uh my vision board. Yes, vision boards, folks. That's uh, that's the mission for the week. If you haven't started on them already, start on them. By the way, we'll check in in one year on February twentieth mm -hmm. of twenty twenty five, and uh, let us know how your vision boards are going. Uh, again, it's it's the goal that you want in one year. So whether it's to advance in your career, whether it's to advance in something in your personal life, whether it's to advance in something. Uh, in your life, whatever it is, put it on your vision board, just a piece of paper, like Mally said, um, glue it on there in your vision board, put it somewhere, whether it's on your bathroom mirror, in your office, at your workstation, wherever it is that you're going to see it every single day and visualize that and bring it into reality. So mm -hmm. we're going to work on our vision boards uh, this week, put them up, get them up and, uh, and every day focus on it. Do you have anything coming up? I'm up at KNSI Radio this weekend. By the way, we're not skipping over you yet there, darling. Oh. <laughs> strange evidence. I'm like, moving along, moving along. Strange evidence is on Max right now. If you have Max and or you don't have Max yet, get Max. It's available right now, Max.com. We have a link in the description of this program. Check out our good friend Mally Fox on, on Strange Evidence. She's on many episodes. And uh, she does a heck of a job, by the way. So, oh, thank you. Yeah. So, uh, have you noticed they've given me like lots of titles? Yes, I have. You have <laughs> you have rotating titles. So, I know. I, so by the way, uh, take a drink at every title that isn't actually hers. Oh, yeah, um, it's three years worth. Yeah. I've changed. I've had a lot of jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we should play the Mally Fox changing titles drinking game. I don't know how we'll form it, but we'll figure it out by next week. Um, but Mally Fox is on strange evidence, which, um, I'm trying to remember, is it discovery that they're airing it on? 
right now? Uh, it's Max Discovery. is It's on there, and then it's on the Science Channel as That's well. That's right. Science Channel is airing it right mm-hmm. now as well. So you'll see marathons of it on Science Channel. You'll see marathons of it on Discovery. Also, you can watch it on demand on Max. So we have a link to Max so you can get Max if you don't have it currently. I have Max at home, and I watch it on demand. Uh, we've also been watching the... Um, We've been watching the marathons on Science Channel. So Mm -hmm. there you go. Uh, Be sure to check out Mally on Strange. I almost said Strange Discovery. (laughs) Wow. It's getting late. All right. Um, KNSI Radio this weekend uh, from 7 to 9 a.m. up there in St. Cloud Central Time. Uh, Listen to me babble on about something other than paranormal stuff. So, yeah. (laughs) Weather, sports, um, this week in rock history. Um, I might say something about the chipmunks. I don't know. I might t- talk to you about my Dixie diet, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, tomorrow on the big program, Cheryl Lynn Carter will be here. The book is chosen. We're talking about alien abductions, Mally. Yeah, and aliens in general. We'll get into it tomorrow with Cheryl Lynn Carter here on the big program. That'll do it today for Mally Fox. I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the program. Get your pair of shares in to us. Tim at darknessradio.com or go to darknessradioshow.com. Give us a voice note. Let's play your lovely voice here on this program. Also want to thank our sponsors, factormeals.com slash darkness50. Get 50% off your meals at factormeals. I want to thank microdose, microdose.com. Get your discount by using the code DARKNESS. Go to microdose.com. Start improving your life here in 2024. Go to microdose.com. Get your uh, get your discount there. If you're if you're wanting these links, go to darknessradioshow.com. Click on our sponsors. They're at the bottom of the page. You'll see the icons there for them. And you can get the discounts by following those links and visiting our sponsors. Please, folks, use our sponsors. They support our show and keep us in business. We appreciate that. We'll see you tomorrow for Sherilyn Carter and Chosen right here on The Best in Paranormal Programming. This is Darkness Radio.